we are actually starting a little mini-series that we're going to do this week and next week, and it's called Shaped. And what we're kind of talking about is that we are all living these stories, these narratives of our lives. Each one of us is walking through life kind of being shaped, even if we don't know it. That the things that we go through, the, the mountains that we, that we climb and the, the valleys that we walk through, the hardships, the, the trauma that we have to walk through shapes us. And the celebrations and the exciting times, those shape us as well. And the people that we come into contact with shape us. And so the, over the next couple weeks, we are going to be sharing a couple stories of how we were shaped and lessons that were learned in those um, stories. And so this morning, I'm going to share with you guys a little bit of my story. And next week, I just want to put a plug in for this and say you, you don't want to miss next week. Uh, if I don't think anyone here except for my wife in the back uh, has met my brother. Oh, Angela has met my brother. Um, uh, but my brother is a missionary in South America, um, and he has a wild story um, that every time I hear him share it, is it touches my heart. And I've heard him share it a million times, but it deeply impacts me and helps me to feel closer to, the, to, to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to come tomorrow, it's a, or to next week. Don't come tomorrow. No one will be here. Um, come next week, and he is going to share his story and give us some applications based off of his story that I think are very, very powerful. Um, but I'm going to start in the beginning of my story. I grew up in a home where both of my parents were pastors. And if you've ever met anyone who's both, who, who have parents as pastors, there's either two paths that they can go down. It's either they become very, very goody-goody type people, or they are the craziest kids you've ever met. And if you meet me and my siblings, um, it's a mixture. And I'll let you uh, guess which one I was. Um, but uh, I grew up in a great home. My parents were the kind of pastors that you um, hope to have. Uh, I don't know if you have been paying attention over the past number of years, but there have just been so many stories of pastors who say one thing from the pulpit and do a completely different thing when they're at home. I can tell you firsthand that my parents are just amazing, integrous people, um, and they taught me so many wonderful things. Um, my mom grew up Southern Baptist, and so she grew up with like a, a deep, deep desire and love for the scripture and the Bible, and, and I remember every morning I would wake up, it didn't matter what time I woke up, and I would walk down the stairs, and my mom would be sitting on the couch reading the Bible. She taught me to love the Bible and to study the Bible and to interpret the Bible, not to just believe what other people told me, but to dig into it. Um, and she, I have her to thank for that. My dad was an uh, agnostic Jew from New York. Um, that's a mouthful. But uh, he had an experience with Jesus in his early 20s. 
uh, met the Lord, and my dad is one of the most um, caring people that you will ever meet. He he had always has a group of about a hundred people who are that he's caring for. Like he just is. He is the stereotypical pastor of someone who's like. You know, when people are going through crisis, he's there. And if our family's going through crisis, he's there. And so I, I really, like, admired that about him. And I, and, I, and I got a desire from him to care for people. And so my parents were amazing. They taught me, you know, about the Bible and about church and all those things. But the thing that they taught me that I'm probably most thankful for is they taught me that I could know Jesus. So much more than just knowing about Jesus. So much more than just, you know, reading stories that happened 2,000 years ago and learning applications about how we live our life. They taught me that Jesus is a knowable God that we could experience him, that we could, we could talk to him, that he could talk to us, that he is not a God who sits on a throne and, you know, wags his finger at us, but he is a God that comes into our lives and interacts with us. And as a little kid, I was probably like second grade. I remember having this thought process of, uh, you know, I believe that you're saying that, but why can't I see him? Why can't I touch him? Why can't I experience him like I experienced the rest of my friends? And, and that was probably the first crisis of faith that I had as a, in my life. But I remember just thinking, like, I don't, I, I don't experience God. And I remember one night I was sitting in my room, and I was praying, and I was saying, God... I want to experience you. I don't remember exactly how I was saying it, but that was essentially the prayer was, God, I want to, I want to experience you. And in that moment, the atmosphere of my room began to change. It began to feel different in my room. And I remember it was like, it felt like it was, more quiet than silence, and the air felt thick. And I remember just being overwhelmed with the presence of God. And I ran into my parents' room, and I said, Mommy, Daddy, Jesus hugged me. And I'll tell you what, at the time, I don't know if I had the language for what was happening, but I t I'll tell you, I think that Jesus hugged me is still the language that I would use today. There was this tangible feeling that God was with me and he was holding me and that even if things aren't going well, that I'm going to be okay. But he loves me. And so this um, reality that God is a knowable God, marked my life as a seven-year-old. And throughout my life, that was the thing for me, was I want more of God. I want to, to put myself into positions where I could experience him more. I want to, to you know, hear your voice. I want to see your face. I want to feel your hugs. And I can think back to time after time in my life where I felt those hugs. 
And, you know, throughout my, you know, adolescent years, I had some ups and downs of, you know, being a little high school pothead or whatever it was. But like, um, you know, I, I really just loved Jesus. And I was like, you know, getting really involved in my youth group and all those kind of things. And then I t uh, turned 18 and my life took a really sharp left turn where things that were, you know, I had a really good life and then all of a sudden things started getting really hard. Things started getting really difficult and um, in the course of like a few months, uh, my I had a, a mentor who had really invested in me where a bunch of like really gross, messed up things came out that he was doing. Um, I had my best friend who I had like traveled the world with. Uh, I, I called him up to hang out one night and he was like, man, I'm gonna stay home. I'm not feeling very good. I got a headache. And I made fun of him. I was like, oh, you're a wimp, you, but go to bed. Uh, and the next morning, uh, I got a phone call that he never woke up in the morning, that he had a brain aneurysm and died in the middle of the night. Um, I had a band that I played in that I was like putting lots of my hope in. Like this is, we're, we're touring. We were starting to tour around the, like the Midwest a little bit and I thought, I love playing in this band and we broke up and I had a girlfriend that I had dated all through high school and she dumped me out of the blue. And it was just like this time where, you know, all those things were going on and multiple other things. And I remember feeling that feeling of like, I don't think I've ever experienced this much difficulty. I don't think I've ever experienced this much hardship. And, and the hardest thing about it was that I was, I felt really far away from God in that moment. I, I remember feeling like, um, do you, do you guys know that like, uh, you'll see it in a lot of Christian houses and stuff, the, the footprints in the sand. You guys know that? Um, I remember thinking like, all right, Lord, you know, essentially it's basically like there's two footprints in the sand and then at one point one set of footprints and you're like, hey God, did you leave me? And he's like, no, that's when I was carrying you. And I remember thinking, okay, God, this is when I need you to carry me. I need you right now. And I felt nothing. I experienced nothing. And I remember saying, God, like, okay, I'm not asking you to fix these situations. But can I have one of those hugs? Can I just have one of those hugs and nothing? And I remember just getting really frustrated and really bitter and just angry. Like, my, my dad would never treat me this way. My, my earthly father wouldn't do this to me. Why are you doing this to me? And I remember I would, I would pray and it, it would feel like my 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 prayers would would lift out of my mouth and hit the ceiling and then fall to the floor have you ever felt like that or you just feel like you're praying to nothing and that you're just feel alone and and i just started to get more and more angry and i left the church and I have probably the greatest crisis of faith that I've ever had. And here's the thing, I never doubted that God was real. 
I knew that he was real because I had experienced him. I had felt him. I had, I had situations in my life that I couldn't explain other than that God is real. But I started to question, is he good? Is he kind? Does he like me? And my story went from this story of love and happiness and, you know, joy to this really dark, depressing story. Where there were times I didn't want to be alive. There were times I felt like I, I, I didn't want to be around anymore. And I left my, com my church community and was just turning to other things that could kind of somewhat feel like those hugs. So I was turning to all the usual suspects like, you know, women and drugs and alcohol and all those things to kind of make me feel something. And none of them made me feel the way that those hugs felt. But I kept on going to them. And I remember lots of church friends coming to me and they meant well. They really did mean well. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Um, but they would come to me, and they had all of this advice of what I needed to do to get God to, essentially, it felt like to get him to like me again, to get him to come to me. And they would say, you know, if you would just start coming back to church, or if you would just start reading your Bible again, or if you would, if you would do this, if you would stop doing this, then, then you would feel better. And I would say, listen, I'm not going to jump through his hoops. And my, my refrain that I would always say is, he's the adult in this situation. He knows where to find me. If he loves me, he can come find me. And I would say that over and over again. He is the adult in this situation. I, and I would say the other thing, that my earthly father wouldn't make me jump through hoops. Why would God? Why would God? And so I remember just being so depressed, didn't want anything to do with God. And one day I was, I was hanging out with a good friend of mine who uh, is still one of my best friends. And he was like one of the first people in our friend group to have a kid. And his kid was about one year old. And... Uh, he was teaching his kid how to walk. And meanwhile, as he's teaching his son to walk, I'm having this conversation with him. And let me just say, as an aside, my friend uh, didn't give me a bunch of answers. He was just a very good listener. And that's what I needed. And I just want to say, if you are going through something similar to this, I want this to be a place where people will listen to you and not just give you the, you know, bumper sticker answers of you need to go back to church or you need to stop doing this, but listen to where you are. And also, if you have friends who are going through this, they really just want to be heard. They really want to be heard and validated. So that's what he did. He really validated me and heard what I would say. And every once in a while, he'd give me some wisdom or something. But I remember saying to him, um, why would a good father withhold from their son? Why would a good father withhold from their son whom they love? 
And he was teaching his son to walk. And the way he was teaching his son to walk is he had a stuffed animal. And he would take about like three steps away from his son and tell his son to come and get it. Like take a step. And his son would, you know, like, you know, like, like babies do where they look like drunk people <laughs> like trying to stumble around. But he was like saying, here, I want to give you this toy, but you have to take a step for it because I'm preparing you how to walk. I'm teaching you. And so I'm saying, why would a good father withhold from their son whom they love? And he is withholding a toy. And it took me a long time to kind of connect the dots. You guys are probably connecting the dots a lot faster than I was. But I would say, God, why would you withhold from me? And meanwhile, he is holding a toy about a foot away from his son saying, I want you to learn how to walk. I want you to learn how to walk. Not, not to make you jump through a hoop, but you need to learn how to walk. Because if you don't learn how to walk, this life is going to be hard. If you don't learn how to take a step, this life is going to be hard for you, and I want to prepare you for life. And it began to, like, like, hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, maybe God is teaching me how to walk. And, 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 and I didn't fully understand maybe what that meant, but, but just the idea of, okay, maybe, maybe there's something here that I don't understand. His son doesn't understand, right? His son probably thinks, just give me the toy. Give me what I need. Give me what I want. But I remember going home and thinking, okay, Okay, maybe you're teaching me something. And this was like the first time I had a conversation with God in years. And I remember saying to him, um, okay, God, if you're teaching me something, and if you're real, which I know you are, then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just assume and trust right now that maybe you are good. And maybe you are teaching me to walk. And so I will take a step. I'm not going to, you know, invite you into what I'm doing. I'm not going to ask you to come to me. I'm going to walk to you. I'm going to take a step to you. And the moment I said that prayer, the atmosphere in my room began to change. And... I felt one of those hugs that I hadn't felt in like years. And you guys, I don't, I still to this day don't fully understand what God was teaching me in that time, but I know he was teaching me something. And as I as I was feeling that hug, there was like this reality that, that came over me where I felt like the Lord said to you, I have never left you. Even when you felt alone, I was walking with you. Even when you felt alone, I was walking right behind you saying, please turn to me. Please just look at me. I love you. And, and I could go, and there were, there were things that I, I started realizing that God was preparing me for, but I, full, I don't fully understand a bit. But now, as I walk through life, I, I'm 
more inclined when I feel distant from God, when I feel like I don't understand what's going on, when I feel like things aren't matching up to what I believe they should be matching up to, I think, well, God, maybe you're teaching me something here. Maybe there's something that I don't understand what you're doing, but, but I'm going to trust you. And I think you're okay with the fact with me saying, I don't get this, God. I don't like this, God. And I started to, to, to start realizing that every person that I admired, every, when I read, read through the Bible, every hero of our faith went through a time where they said, God, this doesn't make sense. And I don't see you in this situation. I don't, I don't see why you're calling me into the desert to be alone. I don't see why you're calling me to just, you know, be a shepherd who's taking care of the sheep when you've promised me that I'm going to be king. I don't know why you've called me to be a prophet, but now I'm sitting in the desert being fed by ravens. Why? I don't understand why, you know, you could go over and over again, story after story in the Bible of people who are like, wait a second, this is not what you called me to do. Where are you? But what I had realized is that story that I was living had become a very dark story where I felt alone and depressed and I felt like the Lord reached in and rescued me and began to restore things inside of me. And the reason I'm telling you this story is because I believe that there are, you know, as many people are in this room, that's how many stories are being lived out right now. That you are living in a story, and maybe the story that you are living is exciting right now. And you're like super pumped up about what's going on, but maybe you're, you can relate to what I was feeling. Or maybe you're somewhere in the middle of that, or maybe you're, you're going through something else. But I want to tell you that there is a story that is being told. There is a story that is so beautiful and compelling that all of the other stories pale in comparison to it. There's a story of a love that was lost, but was redeemed. A story of humanity that had turned away from God, that had walked away from God, and it looked like there was no turning back. A story of, of humanity that had rebelled against the God who loved them and made them and created them out of his love. Who rebelled, but God took matters into his own hands and said, I am going to fix this. I'm going to reach into the mess. I'm going to come into this place and change the atmosphere, give you a hug and rescue you. coming to earth, living the life that he lived, dying the death that he died, and then raising from the dead, paying the price to restore us into a loving relationship with the Father. 
a God that said, I will restore what was lost. A God that can part the Red Sea. A God that can, can you know, speak the universe into existence, but a God that can come into a seven-year-old's bedroom and give him a hug. That's the kind of God that we have. A reconciling, restoring God. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. It's the story of the kingdom of God. And each one of you this morning, I believe God is inviting you to be a part of that story. He's not only saying, I want to rescue you from your story and invite you into this beautiful story and redeem your story, but I'm inviting you to participate with me in my work of restoration. I'm inviting you to participate with me into being that hand, being that hug, being the person who says, I'm going to help him fix this. When I see poverty, I can say, no, this is not right. What can I do to fix this? That's being part of the story. When I see uh you know, racism, I can say, no, this is not part of the story. What can I do to fix this? When I see homophobia, when I see patriarchy, when I see, you know, abuse and neglect, when you see, you know, whatever it is, you can say, no, this is not the story that God is telling. And I can participate in being part of that story. This is the central message of the Bible. This is the reason we exist as a church. This is why we're called Restoration Heights, because we are a church that's participating in God's work of restoration. And so fast forward to me planning on starting this church. Fast forward to the, to the, to the, you know, the, the, the time where I was like, I felt like God had restored so many things. He called me to be a pastor. Another story for a, a, a different day. But I remember I was in the process of, you know, thinking, God, you called me to be a church planter. You called me to move up to Cleveland um, to start this church. And if you guys have shared bits and pieces of the story over time, if you guys know we had a team that was going to move up here in the summer of 2020, and you guys know how that worked out. Um, there's something that happened. It was called like the pandemic or something. So we started to plant this church in the middle of the pandemic, which you shouldn't do. It's a bad idea. Don't plant a church in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but I, re I remember in the process of thinking, what do we want this church to be like? Um, you do all these exercises, like where you think, what are our values? What are, what's our, you know, our vision? What's our, sta these statements? And one of the things I was thinking about was our mission statement. And I remember that uh, at the time I was like, w I had this thought that, you know, I thought was really brilliant. Um, but it was like, we want to uh, be a people who exist to partner with the teachings of Jesus. And we want to be people who say yes to the teachings of Jesus. And so we are committed to the teachings of Jesus. And I kept on saying this over and over again. And then I felt the Lord say to me, that's not it. You're not committed to the teachings of Jesus. 
you are committed to the person of Jesus. And it's a, it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's a huge difference. That we are not committed to his teachings, although we love his teachings and Maybe we are committed to him, but that's not the primary commitment that we have. We, the primary commitment is to the person of Jesus. That we want to be a church that exists because he exists. And so if you look through the Bible, um, there is this, 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 well, let me say it this way. If we look at churches oftentimes today, churches gather around doctrine. They gather around, do we have similar beliefs? Do we think these things are bad and do we think these things are good? So let's gather around that. Let's gather around doctrine. Or let's gather around behavior. Do we come together because we do the same things and we don't do these things? And so churches oftentimes will say we gather around doctrine or behavior. And I feel like the Lord is saying if you look at the Bible, people gather around two things. They gather around the presence of God, the person of Jesus, or they gather around a table to eat with one another. And those are the things that I feel like God is saying, JT, don't gather around doctrine. Don't gather around the teachings of Jesus. Gather around the person of Jesus in a table where we can share a meal together and be a community of people who are committed to the person of Jesus doing the things that Jesus is calling us to do. And so in that, there might be things where, where you know, my beliefs, my theology might not fully line up with your theology. And you guys, you know, you know, you guys might disagree about something and say, well, I think, I think this in the Bible means this. And no, but I think this in the Bible means this. And I will say some of those things are really important. But we shouldn't let those be the things that we gather around that unite us. We should let the person of Jesus unite us. Because one of the things that I believe is that when Jesus tells us, Actually, he's praying in the book of John, and he's praying about, this is my prayer for the church, and this is for my, my prayer for the people who aren't yet the church but will be the church, you and I. He says, let them be one as you and I are one. And so there's this talk of unity. And if, if, if gosh, unity is, it seems impossible, Right? Like, and unity is often used as a weapon to tell people to stop talking about, like, abuse or stop talking about racism or stop talking about bad things in the church. That, like, we should just have unity and stop talking about social issues. Um, but I don't think that, you know, unity happens because we believe the same things or we act the same way because I think we're all created differently. I think unity happens when there's a commitment to Jesus and our hearts begin to change. And our hearts begin to change when we start addressing issues that are causing disunity. But if we have a commitment to gather around the person of Jesus and around the table, I think we're gonna be okay.
I think we're going to be okay. If we are committed to the person of Jesus and partnering with him in his mission of restoration, restoring what was lost. And, and here's what I believe. I believe that there are a number of, of us here this morning, or maybe you're listening to this online, and maybe you've been a Christian your whole life. Maybe you've never really thought of yourself as a Christian. But I think what you desperately need is not um, to believe the right doctrine, not to change your behavior. You need an interaction with the living God. What you need is an encounter with the real God. And God is what changes us. God is what restores what is broken. And so maybe uh, you've never had an interaction with God. Maybe you believe all the things that technically you're supposed to believe, but you've never had an interaction with Jesus. Or maybe you've had a million interactions with God. But one of the things that I love is that God is constantly inviting us to know him more. That I don't believe that we get one interaction with God when we come into salvation and then we wait till heaven. I think God is saying, I want to fill you up. I want to hug you. I want to, you know, speak to you. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to, you know, show you where to walk. I want to direct you. Because here's the reality that I have found. Life is hard. Have you guys come to that conclusion yet? The reality that life is really difficult. And I don't know what I would do without Jesus. There's this, I've shared this before, but there's this analogy in the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible. And it's this picture of a banquet. And you see it all the way back in the Old Testament where it says, one day there's going to be like this really beautiful banquet. There's going to be this really beautiful meal that we share. And that every tongue, tribe, and nation is invited to this. Everybody's invited to come sit at the table. It even says that, like, our enemies come to the table and that everybody gets to come. And it says, like, our wine glasses will be overflowing or if you don't like wine, your Pepsi or, <laughs> or you know, your gin and tonic or whatever it is. But it's going to be overflowing. We're going to have so much to drink, to celebrate. The food is going to be so good. Like the, the waiter is going to be like a really good waiter. <laughs> He's going to be friendly, but not like overly friendly where he sits down at your table with you. Like that's too much. I don't like that. <laughs> no, but he's gonna he's gonna make sure your bread is always full and your drink is always full and your food comes out hot. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be this great banquet. And the Bible tells us that that banquet is coming and it's something that we can be hopeful for, but we get to taste of it today. 
Do you know the Bible says that we get a taste of that future banquet today? And a taste is not the full meal. It's not the entire meal, but a taste is real, and a taste is good. And a taste, I'll tell you what, it's been a taste of that future meal that has sustained me through the hard things of life. It's been those tastes that has gotten me through trauma and death and you know, hardships. It's been those tastes that has gotten me through trouble with parenting or trouble in my marriage or trouble with finances. It's those tastes of God that has sustained me through life. And I'll tell you, a taste isn't the full meal, but a taste is better than anything this world has to offer. A taste of that future banquet is better than the promotion that you're hoping for. It's better than the house you're hoping for. It's better than just what your marriage could be or, or you know, the, that you would have an extra zero in your bank account or an extra couple zeros in your bank account. A taste is better than anything this world can offer, and the taste is free, and the taste is being offered to you this morning. And so here's what I want to do. Michael, if you want to come back up. We're going to end by worshiping and inviting the presence of the Lord. We're going to invite the presence of the Lord now. And so if you are here and you have never had one of those experiences with God, if it's always been head belief, head knowledge, but not something tangible that you feel, that you experience, I want to say that I believe the Lord wants to meet with you. And maybe again, like I said, maybe you've experienced this a lot, but I think the Lord wants to meet with you. And so why don't we do this? Why don't we stand?